Chapter 6 of the Story of the Atlantic Cable. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of the Atlantic Cable by Sir Charles Bright. Chapter 6 The Storm. The wire ships, thus additionally experienced, arrived at Plymouth on June 3rd, and some further arrangements were made, principally connected with the electrical department. A week later, that is, on Thursday, June 10th, having taken in a fresh supply of coal, the expedition again left England with fair skies and bright prospects. The barometer, standing at 30.64, it was an auspicious start in what was declared by a consensus of nautical authorities to be the best time of the year for the atlantic this prognostication was doomed to a terrible disappointment for the voyage nearly ended in the agamemnon turning turtle she was repeatedly almost on her beam ends the cable was partly shifted and a large number of those on board were more or less seriously injured. The load of cables made all the difference when brought into comparison with an ordinary ship under stress of weather. It was bad enough to cruise with a dead weight forward of some 250 tons, a weight under which her planks gaped an inch apart, and her beams threatened daily to give way. But when to these evils were added the fear that in some of her heavy rolls the whole mass would slip and take the vessel's side out, it will be seen that this precious coil was justly regarded as a standing danger, the millstone about the necks of all on board. Oddly enough, owing to the fact that the Agamemnon had scant accommodation left for fuel, Everyone at the start was bemoaning the entire absence of breeze. There were some even, who, never having been at sea before, muttered rash hopes about meeting an Atlantic gale. Their wishes were soon to be completely realized. In order that laying operations should be started by the two ships in mid-ocean, it was arranged that the entire fleet should meet in latitude 53 degrees 2 minutes and longitude 33 degrees 18 minutes as a rendezvous. As it is impossible to follow the movements of more than one ship at a time, and, as the Agamemnon had the more exciting experience, we will confine our attention to her up to the date of the rendezvous. The day after starting there was no wind, but on Saturday, June 12th, a breeze sprung up, and with screw hoisted and fires raked out, the Agamemnon bowled along at a rare pace under royals and studding sails. The barometer fell fast, and squally weather coming on with the boisterous premonitory symptoms of an Atlantic gale, even those least versed in such matters could see at a glance that they were in for it. The following day the sky wore a wretched mist, half rain, half vapor, through which the attendant vessels loomed faintly like shadows. The gale increased, till at four in the afternoon the good ship was rushed through the foam under close-reefed topsails and foresail. 
that night the storm got worse and most of the squadron gradually parted company the ocean resembled one vast snowdrift the whitish glare from which reflected from the dark clouds that almost rested on the sea had a tremendous and unnatural effect as if the ordinary laws of nature had been reversed very heavy weather continued till the following sunday june twentieth which ushered in as fierce a storm as ever swept over the atlantic the narrative of this fight of nautical science with the elements may best be continued in the words of the representative of the times especially as it is probably the most intensely realistic description of a storm that has ever been written by an eyewitness the niagara which had hitherto kept close while the other small vessels had dropped out of sight began to give us a very wide berth and as darkness increased it was a case of every one for himself our ship the agamemnon rolling many degrees not every one can imagine how she went at it that night was laboring so heavily that she looked like breaking up the massive beams under her upper deck coil cracked and snapped with a noise resembling that of small artillery almost drowning the hideous roar of the wind as it moaned and howled through the rigging jerking and straining the little storm sails as though it meant to tear them from the yards those in the impoverished cabins on the main deck had little sleep that night for the upper deck planks above them were working themselves free as sailors say and beyond a doubt they were infinitely more free than easy for they groaned under the pressure of the coil with a dreadful uproar and availed themselves of the opportunity to let in a little light with a good deal of water at every roll the sea too kept striking with dull heavy violence against the vessel's bows forcing its way through the hawse holes and ill-closed ports with a heavy slush and thence hissing and winding aft it roused the occupants of the cabins aforesaid to a knowledge that their floors were under water and that the flotsam and jetsam noises they heard beneath were only caused by their outfit for the voyage taking a cruise of its own in some five or six inches of dirty bilge such was sunday night and such was a fair average of all the nights throughout the week varying only from bad to worse on monday things became desperate the barometer was lower and as a matter of course the wind and sea were infinitely higher than the day before it was singular but at twelve o'clock the sun pierced through the pall of clouds and shone brilliantly for half an hour and during that brief time it blew as it had not often blown before so fierce was this gust that its roar drowned every other sound and it was almost impossible to give the watch the necessary orders for taking in the close reefer foresail which when furled almost left the agamemnon under bare poles though still surging through the water at speed this gust passed the usual gale set in now blowing steadily from the southwest and taking us more and more out of our course each minute every hour the storm got worse till toward five in the afternoon when it seemed at its height 
and raged with such a violence of wind and sea that matters really looked desperate even for such a strong and large ship as the agamemnon the upper deck coil had strained her decks throughout excessively and though this mass in theory was supposed to prevent her rolling so quickly and heavily as she would have done without it yet still she heeled over to such an alarming extent that fears of the coil itself shifting again occupied every mind and it was accordingly strengthened with additional shores bolted down to the deck the space occupied by the main coil below had deprived the agamemnon of several of her coal bunkers and in order to make up for this deficiency as well as to endeavour to counterbalance the immense mass which weighed her down by the head a large quantity of coals had been stowed on the deck aft on each side of her main deck were thirty-five tons secured in a mass while on the lower deck ninety tons were stowed away in the same manner the precautions taken to secure these huge masses also required attention as the great ship surged from side to side but these coals seemed secure and were so in fact unless the vessel should almost capsize an unpleasant alternative which no one certainly anticipated then everything therefore was made snug as sailors call it though their efforts by no means resulted in the comfort which might have been expected from the term the night however passed over without any mischance beyond the smashing of all things incautiously left loose and capable of rolling and one or two attempts which the agamemnon made in the middle watch to turn bottom upward in all other matters it was the mere ditto of sunday night except perhaps a little worse and certainly much more wet below tuesday the gale continued with almost unabated force though the barometer had risen to twenty nine point thirty and there was sufficient sun to take a clear observation which showed our distance from the rendezvous to be five hundred and sixty-three miles during this afternoon the niagara joined company and the wind going more ahead the agamemnon took to violent pitching plunging steadily into the trough of the sea as if she meant to break her back and lay the atlantic cable in a heap this change in her motion strained and taxed every inch of timber near the coils to the very utmost it was curious to see how they worked and bent as the agamemnon went at everything she met head first one time she pitched so heavily as to break one of the main beams of the lower deck which had to be shored with screw-jacks forthwith saturday the nineteenth of june things looked a little better the barometer seemed inclined to go up and the sea to go down and for the first time that morning since the gale began some six days previous the decks could be walked with tolerable comfort and security but alas appearances are as deceitful in the atlantic as elsewhere and during a comparative calm that afternoon the glass fell lower while a thin line of black haze to windward seemed to grow up into the sky until it covered the heavens with a sombre darkness and warned us that after all the worst was yet to come there was much heavy rain that evening and then the wind began 
not violently nor in gusts but with a steadily increasing force as if the gale was determined to do its work slowly but do it well the sea was ready built to hand as sailors say so at first the storm did little more than urge on the ponderous masses of water with redoubled force and fill the air with the foam and spray it tore from their rugged crests by and by however it grew more dangerous and captain pretty himself remained on deck throughout the middle watch for the wind was hourly getting worse and worse and the agamemnon rolling thirty degrees each way was straining to a dangerous extent at four a m sail was shortened to close reefer fore and main topsails and reefed foresail a long and tedious job for the wind so roared and howled and the hiss of the boiling sea was so deafening that words of command were useless and the men aloft holding on with all their might to the yards as the ship rolled over and over almost to the water were quite incapable of struggling with the masses of wet canvas that flapped and plunged as if men and yards and everything were going away together the ship was almost as wet inside as out and so things wore on till eight or nine o'clock everything getting adrift and being smashed and every one on board jamming themselves up in corners or holding on to beams to prevent their going adrift likewise at ten o'clock the agamemnon was rolling and laboring fearfully with the sky getting darker and both wind and sea increasing every minute at about half past ten o'clock three or four gigantic waves were seen approaching the ship coming slowly on through the mist nearer and nearer rolling on like hills of green water and a crown of foam that seemed to double their height the agamemnon rose heavily to the first and then went down quickly into the deep trough of the sea falling over as she did so so as almost to capsize completely on the port side there was a fearful crashing as she lay over this way for everything broke adrift whether secured or not and the uproar and confusion were terrific for a minute then back she came again on the starboard beam in the same manner only quicker and still deeper than before again there was the same noise and crashing and the officers in the wardroom who knew the danger of the ship struggled to their feet and opened the door leading to the main deck here for an instant the scene almost defies description amid loud shouts and efforts to save themselves a confused mass of sailors boys and marines with deck buckets ropes ladders and everything that could get loose and which had fallen back again to the port side were being hurled again in a mass across the ship to starboard dimly and only for an instant could this be seen with groups of men clinging to the beams with all their might with a mass of water which had forced its way through ports and decks surging about and then with a tremendous crash as the ship fell still deeper over the coals stowed on the main deck broke loose and smashing everything before them went over among the rest to leeward the coal dust hid everything on the main deck in an instant 
but the crashing could still be heard going on in all directions as the lumps and sacks of coal with stanchions ladders and mess tins went leaping about the decks pouring down the hatchways and crashing through the glass skylights into the engine-room below still it was not done and surging again over another tremendous wave the agamemnon dropped down still more to port and the coals on the starboard side of the lower deck gave way also and carried everything before them matters now became serious for it was evident that two or three more lurches and the mast would go like reeds while half the crew might be maimed or killed below Captain Preedy was already on the poop with Lieutenant Gibson, and it was hands wear ship at once, while Mr. Brown, the indefatigable chief engineer, was ordered to get up steam immediately. The crew gained the deck with difficulty, and not till after a lapse of some minutes, for all the ladders had been broken away, the men were grimed with coal dust, and many bore still more serious marks upon their faces of how they had been knocked about below there was some confusion at first for the storm was fearful the officers were quite inaudible and a wild dangerous sea running mountains high heeled the great ship backward and forward so that the crew were unable to keep their feet for an instant and in some cases were thrown across the decks in a fearful manner two marines went with a rush head foremost into the paying-out machine, as if they had meant to butt it over the side. Yet, strange to say, neither the men nor the machine suffered. What made matters worse, the ship's barge, though lashed down to the deck, had partly broken loose, and dropping from side to side as the vessel lurched, it threatened to crush any who ventured to pass it. The regular discipline of the ship, however, soon prevailed, and the crew set to work to wear round the ship on the starboard tack while lieutenants robinson and murray went below to see after those who had been hurt and about the number of whom extravagant rumours prevailed among the men there were however unfortunately but too many the marine sentry outside the wardroom door on the main deck had not had time to escape and was completely buried under the coals some time elapsed before he could be got out for one of the beams used to shore up the sacks which had crushed his arm very badly still lay across the mangled limb jamming it in such a manner that it was found impossible to remove it without risking the man's life saws therefore had to be sent for and the timber sawn away before the poor fellow could be extricated another marine on the lower deck endeavoured to save himself by catching hold of what seemed a ledge in the planks but unfortunately it was only caused by the beams straining apart and of course as the agamemnon righted they closed again and crushed his fingers flat one of the assistant engineers was also buried among the coals on the lower deck and sustained some severe internal injuries the lurch of the ship was calculated at forty-five degrees each way for five times in rapid succession the galley coppers were only half filled with soup nevertheless it nearly all poured out and scalded some of the poor fellows who were extended on the decks holding on to anything in reach 
these with a dislocation were the chief casualties but there were others of bruises and contusions more or less severe and of course a long list of escapes more marvellous than any injury one poor fellow went head first from the main deck into the hold without being hurt and one of the orlop deck was chevied about for some ten minutes by three large casks of oil which had got adrift and any one of which would have flattened him like a pancake had it overtaken him as soon as the agamemnon had gone round on the other tack the niagara wore also and bore down as if to render assistance she had witnessed our danger and as we afterward learned imagined that the upper deck coil had broken loose and that we were sinking things however were not so bad as that though they were bad enough heaven knows for everything seemed to go wrong that day the upper deck coil had strained the ship to the very utmost but still held on fast but not so the coil in the main hold which had begun to get adrift and the top kept working and shifting over from side to side as the ship lurched until some forty or fifty miles were in a hopeless state of tangle resembling nothing so much as a cargo of live eels and there was every prospect of the tangle spreading deeper and deeper as the bad weather continued going round upon the starboard tack had eased the ship to a certain extent but with such a wind and such a sea both of which were getting worse than better it was impossible to effect much for the agamemnon's relief and so by twelve o'clock she was rolling almost as badly as ever the crew who had been at work since nearly four in the morning were set to clear up the decks from the masses of coal that covered them and while this was going forward a heavy sea struck the stern and smashed the large iron guard frame which had been fixed there to prevent the cable fouling the screw and paying out now that one side had broken it was expected every moment that other parts would go and the pieces hanging down either smash the screw or foul the rudder post it is not overestimating the danger to say that had the latter accident occurred in such a sea and with a vessel so overladen the chances would have been sadly against the agamemnon ever appearing at the rendezvous fortunately it was found possible to secure the broken frame temporarily with hawsers so as to prevent it dropping farther though nothing could hinder the fractured end from striking against the vessel's side with such force as to lead to serious apprehensions that it would establish a dangerous leak under water it was near three in the afternoon before this was quite secured the gale still continuing and the sea running ever worse the condition of the masts too at this time was a source of much anxiety both to captain preedy and mr moriarty the master the heavy rolling had strained and slackened the wire shrouds to such an extent that they had become perfectly useless as supports the lower masts bent visibly at every roll and once or twice it seemed as if they must go by the board unfortunately nothing whatever could be done to relieve this strain by sending down any of the upper spars since it was only her masts which prevented the ship rolling still more and quicker and so every one knew that if once they were carried away it might soon be all over with the ship 
and then the deck-coil could not help going after them. So there was nothing for it but to watch in anxious silence the way they bent and strained, and trust in providence for the result. About six in the evening it was thought better to wear ship again, and stand for the rendezvous under easy steam, and her head accordingly was put about and once more faced the storm. As she went round, she of course fell into the trough of the sea again, and rolled so awfully as to break her waste steam-pipe, filling her engine-room with steam, and depriving her of the services of one boiler when it was sorely needed. The sun set upon as wild and wicked a night as ever taxed the courage and coolness of a sailor. There were, of course, men on board who were familiar with gales and storms in all parts of the world, and there were some who had witnessed the tremendous hurricane which swept the Black Sea on the memorable 14th of November, when scores of vessels were lost and seamen perished by the thousands. But of all on board, none had ever seen a fiercer or more dangerous sea than raged throughout the night and the following morning, tossing the Agamemnon from side to side like a mere plaything among the waters. The night was thick and very dark, the low black clouds almost hemming the vessel in. Now and then a fiercer blast than usual drove the great masses slowly aside, and showed the moon a dim greasy blotch upon the sky, with the ocean white as driven snow, boiling and seething like a cauldron. But these were only glimpses, which were soon lost, and again it was all darkness, through which the waves, suddenly upheaving, rushed upon the ship as though they must overwhelm it, and dealing it one staggering blow, went hissing and surging past into the darkness again. The grandeur of the scene was almost lost in its dangers and terrors. For all of the many forms in which death approaches man, there is none so easy, in fact, so terrific in appearance as death by shipwreck. Sleeping was impossible that night on board the Agamemnon. Even those in cots were thrown out from their striking against the vessel's side as she pitched. The berths of wood-fixed arthwart chips in the cabins on the main deck had worked to pieces. Chairs and tables were broken, chests of drawers capsized, and a little surf was running over the floors of the cabins themselves, pouring miniature seas into portamentos and breaking over carpet-bags of clean linen. Fast as it flowed off by the scuppers, it came in faster by the hawse-holes and ports while the beams and knees strained with a doleful noise, as though it was impossible they could hold together much longer, and on the whole it was as miserable and even anxious a night as ever was passed on board any line of battleship in Her Majesty's service. Captain Preedy never left the poop all night, though it was hard work to remain there, even holding on to the poop-rail with both hands. Morning brought no change, save that the storm was as fierce as ever, and though the sea could not be higher or wilder, yet the additional amount of broken water made it still more dangerous to the ship. 
very dimly, and only now and then, through the thick scud, the Niagara could be seen. One moment on a monstrous hill of water, and the next quite lost to view, as the Agamemnon went down between the waves. But even these glimpses showed us that our transatlantic consort was plunging heavily, shipping seas, and evidently having a bad time of it, though she got through it better than the Agamemnon, as of course she could, having only the same load, though two thousand tons larger. Suddenly it came on darker and thicker, and we lost sight of her in the thick spray and had only ourselves to look after. This was quite enough, for every minute made matters worse, and the aspect of affairs began to excite most serious misgivings in the minds of those in charge. The Agamemnon is one of the finest line of battleships in the whole navy, but in such a storm and so heavily overladen, what could she do but make bad weather worse, and strain and labor and fall into the trough of the sea, as if she were going down head foremost? Three or four hours more, and the vessel had borne all she could bear with safety. The masts were rapidly getting worse, the deck coil worked more and more with each tremendous plunge, and even if both these held, it was evident that the ship itself would soon strain to pieces if the weather continued so. The sea, forcing its way through ports and hawse holes, had accumulated on the lower deck to such an extent that it flooded the stokehole, so that men could scarcely remain at their posts. Everything went smashing and rolling about. One plunge put all the electrical instruments eau de combat at a blow, and staved some barrels of strong solution of sulfate of copper, which went cruising about, turning all it touched to a light pea-green. By and by she began to ship seas. Water came down the ventilators near the funnel into the engine-room. Then a tremendous sea struck her forward, drenching those on deck and leaving them up to their knees in water. And the least first on board could see that things were fast going to the bad, unless a change took place in the weather or the condition of the ship. Of the first there seemed little chance. The weather certainly showed no disposition to clear. On the contrary, livid-looking black clouds seemed to be closing round the vessel faster and faster than ever. For the relief of the ship, three courses were open to Captain Preedy. One, to wear round and try her on the starboard tack, as she had been compelled to do the day before. Another, to fairly run for it before the wind. And, third and last, to endeavor to lighten the vessel by getting some of the cable overboard. Of course, the latter would not have been thought of till the first two had been tried and failed. In fact, not till it was evident that nothing else could save the ship. Against wearing ground, there was the danger of her again falling off into the trough of the sea, losing her masts, shifting her upper deck coil, and so finding her way to the bottom in ten minutes, while to attempt running before the storm, with such a sea on, was to risk her stern being stove in, 
and a hundred tons of water added to her burden with each wave that came up afterward till the poor agamemnon went under them all for ever a little after ten o'clock on monday the twenty-first the aspect of affairs was so alarming that captain preedy resolved at all risks to try wearing the ship round on the other tack it was hard enough to make the words of command audible but to execute them seemed almost impossible the ship's head went round enough to leave her broadside on to the seas and then for a time it seemed as if nothing could be done all the rolls which she had ever given on the previous day seemed mere trifles compared with her performances then of more than two hundred men on deck at least a hundred and fifty were thrown down and falling over from side to side in heaps while others holding on to the ropes swung to and fro with every heave it really appeared as if the last hour of the stout ship had come and to this minute it seems almost miraculous that her masts held on each time she fell over her main chains went deep under water the lower decks were flooded and those above could hear by the fearful crashing audible amid the hoarse roar of the storm that the coals had got loose again below and had broken into the engine-room and were carrying all before them during these rolls the main deck coil shifted over to such a degree as quite to envelope four men who sitting on the top were trying to wedge it down with beams one of them was so much jammed by the mass which came over him that he was seriously contused he had to be removed to the sick bay making up the sick list to forty-five of which ten were from injuries caused by the rolling of the ship and very many of the rest from continual fatigue and exposure during the gale once round on the starboard tack and it was seen in an instant that the ship was in no degree relieved by the change another heavy sea struck her forward sweeping clean over the forepart of the vessel and carrying away the woodwork and platforms which had been placed there round the machinery for underrunning this and a few more plunges were quite sufficient to settle the matter and at last reluctantly captain preedy succumbed to the storm he could neither conquer nor contend against full steam was got on and with a foresail and a fore topsail to lift her head the agamemnon ran before the storm rolling and tumbling over the huge waves at a tremendous pace it was well for all that the wind gave this much way on her or her stern would infallibly have been stove in as it was a wave partly struck her on the starboard quarter smashing the quarter galley and wardroom windows on that side and sending such a sea into the wardroom itself as to literally wash two officers off a sofa on which they were resting on that side of the ship this was a kind of parting blow for the glass began to rise and the storm was evidently beginning to moderate and although the sea still ran as high as ever there was less broken water and altogether toward midday affairs assumed a better and more cheerful aspect the wardroom that afternoon was a study for an artist 
with its windows half-darkened and smashed, the seawater still slushing about in odd corners, with everything that was capable of being broken, strewn over the floor in pieces, and some fifteen or twenty officers seated amid the ruins, holding on to the deck or table with one hand, while with the other they contended, at a disadvantage, with a tough meal, the first which most had eaten for twenty-four hours. Little sleep had been indulged in, though much lolloping about. Those, however, who had prepared themselves for a night's rest in their berths, rather than at the ocean bottom, had great difficulty in finding their day garments of a morning. The boots especially went astray, and got so hopelessly mixed that the man who could show up with both pairs of his own was indeed a man to be congratulated. But all things have an end, and this long gale of over a week's duration at last blew itself out, and the weary ocean rocked itself to rest. Throughout the whole of Monday, the Agamemnon ran before the wind, which moderated so much that at four a.m. on Tuesday her head was again put about. For the second time, she commenced beating up for the rendezvous. Then, some two hundred miles further from us, than when the storm was at its height on Sunday morning. So little was gained against this wind that Friday the 25th, sixteen days after leaving Plymouth, still found us some fifty miles from rendezvous. So it was determined to get up steam and run down on it at once. As we approached the place of meeting, the angry sea went down. The Valoris hove in sight at noon, in the afternoon the Niagara came in from the north, and at eleven the Gorgon from the south, and then, almost for the first time since starting, the squadron was reunited near the spot where the great work was to have commenced, fifteen days previously, as tranquil in the middle of the Atlantic as if in Plymouth Sound. End of chapter 6